It is hard as a small business because you do have limited resources and I think especially until you get to the stage where you've proven that you know you are a sustainable business in the sense of sustainable you know environmentally but also sustainable in terms of you know you've you've proven that you've got the right product market fit and you're doing well and you've got into where you want to get into it can be really hard because you know that if you don't have a business then you don't have a mission so you can't you have to constantly battle between the two hello and welcome to the bossing it podcast This series, we'll be exploring real-life stories of women on a mission to build big brands and fulfilled lives. Each guest will share the ups and downs of growing their business and get real about the challenges life has thrown their way on the road to success. Each episode will offer a fresh outlook on life and business, and you'll also get to hear top tips from these amazing founders that will inspire you on your own mission of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Connie Longdon-Jefferson, and today I'm joined by Ellen Roberts, the co-founder of Better Nature, an innovative tempeh brand that is making big moves in the vegan food sector. Ellen was only a year out of university when, in 2018, she decided to leave her role as a marketing strategist and set up Better Nature with her three other co-founders. The company's growth has been incredible and you can now find their range of tempeh products in over 200 retailers nationwide. In 2020, the company announced the closing of £430,000 in seed funding. Now, that might sound impressive, but a year later, they raised £1.6 million through the Good Food Fund and an insanely popular crowdfunding campaign with Seeders. In this episode, we talk all about the ups and downs of Better Nature's crowdfunding journey, get Ellen's advice on finding the right investment route for you, and hear what it's like to take the leap into entrepreneurship so early in your career. We also discuss the challenges of trying to run a totally ethical business and the benefits of building a brand aligned with your personal values. Ellen was so great to chat to and this episode is full of amazing tips and insights. I hope you enjoy. Ellen, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I am good, apart from the background noise issues that I've just been telling you about. But other than that, I'm, I'm all good. I'm all good. So for anyone that doesn't know you or your story or even Better Nature as a business, um, could you just tell us a little bit about what, what Better Nature is and, and how you kind of got involved in it? Yeah, of course. So yeah, I'll start with what Better Nature is. So at Better Nature, we're all about tempeh. So tempeh is a plant-based protein uh, from Indonesia that's super high in protein, as you would guess, high in fiber. It's one of your five a day. It's just like a real powerhouse of a food. uh, And it's just not really known anywhere else in the world. So um, it's starting to grow in popularity, which is great. But yeah, our mission is really to bring it into the mainstream and get people eating it more regularly because it's so delicious, so nutritious. um, And there's also so much you can do with it. And that's what we're trying to do at Better Nature, where trying to turn it into lots of delicious products so we've got things like tempeh rashes we've got tempeh strips tempeh bites all kinds of all kinds of products to make it really as easy as possible to eat a really kind of nutritious and and delicious food so yeah that's a bit about better nature and then for me personally um 
yeah, basically I've been vegetarian since I was 15, I think, and then went vegan when I was 18. So I was a bit of, I was the weird one that turned up at uni as a vegan, which was a, a an interesting experience, but people were loving it. You were ahead the of the whole. trend. You were ahead of yeah. the trend. You weren't weird. Yeah, you were just yeah. very cool and ahead of, <laughs> ahead of your time, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a better way of wording it. Um, and yeah, I think mainly for me, it was kind of, it was also different things, really. I think when I went first went vegetarian, it was actually more to do with the environmental environmental reasons. So I, I think I was in geography class and I saw a documentary about fish farming and went home and told my mum I wasn't eating fish anymore, which is not the usual way people do it, actually. People usually do it the other way around. So it was a bit of a weird one as well. But yeah, my mum was a bit bit taken aback, but was quite supportive. And then from there, I started looking more into the meat industry and was like, OK, yeah, I don't think this is for me. And then kind of other things came into it, like ethical reasons and health reasons. And that kind of was part of my decision to go vegan, which I actually did with my sister. Um, and yeah, then kind of from there, did psychology at uni, uh, which I really, really enjoyed. And I kind of wanted to do something with psychology. And really, I just had such a fascination with people and behavior change and trying to guess encourage people to make positive choices, but not in a way that feels like they're being shamed or put down, but in a way that actually makes them feel kind of inspired and excited. And so... I tried to think after uni, what could I do that kind of keeps that, but then also fits in with my passion for the environment um, and sort of ethics as well. And so started working in a marketing job, um, sort of marketing strategy job for a couple of years, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and then from there, the opportunity came about really through actually a friend from uni, uh, who's my co-founder, Chris. He'd said basically he'd met this guy called Ando from Indonesia and that he was just doing it. He was doing a PhD in tempeh fermentation. Chris all of a sudden he'd actually been going wow. veggie for a little while all of a sudden was like obsessed with tempeh eating it constantly he was like Ellen you have to try it and I've actually had it once before but I'd really not liked it which is obviously now looking back it's like horrible but uh, actually turns out I think I'd had like tempeh in a jar which is very very different to very fresh tempeh different. and I think that's yeah. something yeah that we struggle with a bit is the sense that the quality like with you know like most foods to be honest but I think when it's a new food the quality of the product can really impact understandably people's experience of it. And if they try it once and they don't enjoy it, they don't want to go back to it. And so that for us is a big challenge. So funnily enough, you know, I did that myself. And then he was like, no, I think like, you've got it wrong. You've got to try it again. So I tried it again and then just like fell in love with it. And then, yeah, we kind of, yeah, through all kind of different paths, we all kind of came together and decided to set up Better Nature together. I love that. So it was like, it's, it's a real like personal, not just for you in terms of veganism, but your whole co-founding team like you kind of brought these different um you know experiences of tempeh and together and then kind of were like let's do this um so you mentioned a few names there but just to make it really clear to everyone you've got quite a large co-founding team haven't you yes so four of you is that right there is four of us yes and so how how did I mean, you kind of talked about the people that kind of thing but how has that been being on quite a large co-founding team and being the only woman on that co-founding team as well yeah, it's definitely had its challenges. Yeah, I get asked this a lot, I think, when I speak to people, because I think it's actually, especially in like Found and Flourish, I do like the coffee dates and stuff, which is great. And yeah, I've never met, I don't think I've met anyone else on such a big co-founding team. So people are always really fascinated. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's definitely got its, its challenges in the sense that, you know, yeah, I don't know. I think when you have people with quite different, you know, experiences, different sort of ideas coming together and kind of, making sure that comes into like one coherent, you know, business idea, brand, all that, you know, a strategy, uh, like a business strategy can be really challenging. But I think, so I think for us, 
we've had to really think about how we communicate with each other. We've had to really reflect on what our strengths are and like what we think we can kind of individually bring to that co-founding team. We've actually done some work recently with um, Vanessa Bello, who I think is also found found of Flourish uh, High 15. And yeah, we've been working with her and it's been brilliant to kind of really make sure that everyone feels that they're bringing out kind of what they want to in the team and that we kind of use that to come together to create a really kind of coherent narrative around kind of what we care about and what we want to do as a business. And I think once we've nailed, like once we can nail that, then it's really amazing because obviously we're unlocking the potential of four people, four people's passion and drive and energy. And that that can be amazing. And sometimes, you know, if one of us or two of us are, are quite overwhelmed, quite busy, the others can kind of pick it up a little bit and just make sure that we're always checking in on the team and, and yeah, just staying on top of things. So yeah, I think it is definitely challenging and it takes a lot of work on communication and I think just also being really self-aware as well. That's something we've all had to work on quite a lot. But I think once you can do that, it, it actually works out really well. And I think in terms of being the only woman, that's, yeah, I think that's also been challenging. Obviously there's, you know, differences in communication. Again, I think it is all to do with communication and being really open and honest with each other. And I think, yeah, I think as, as women we're taught not to be as comfortable with being sort of honest I think and being quite sort of blunt and upfront and so I think sometimes I've maybe been a bit of a people pleaser and then it's ended up with me being a bit frustrated but not actually telling people why and I've had to really learn to yeah to not be afraid to kind of speak my mind and say what I think and to be fair I've been really lucky that the other co-founders have like massively encouraged that and have been really supportive of that for me and yeah, and also, also like, you know, very respectful of me as, as well. So, yeah, I think it's it's definitely challenging, but I think as long as you're able to be self-aware and to really kind of consider what do you think you do well, but what else that you maybe don't do so well, I think you can make almost any situation work, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's it's like, a, it's like any relationship and friendships. Like, you have to kind of be able to put your hands up and say, like, this is my, these are my flaws, these are my strengths, and like how can we kind of bring this together? And with four people, like you're always gonna find someone who's really good at something and you can actually slot in really well as a team. But like you said, you've gotta have that communication. Has that, you know, your journey of, I know the business is still relatively young, but have you sort of from the start to now, have you seen like a real evolution of you guys as a team and have you put things in, like did you have to put things in place like on this day we have a meeting and we do this or this day we, you know, and really kind of put a structure around those communication lines as well with so many of you yeah definitely no I've noticed a massive difference I think you'd ask any of us and we'd say it's like chalk and cheese <laughs> like I think you often have that where you look back at the start of the business and you kind of just like chuckle to yourself at the things you used to do and how it used to work and it's like oh yeah and I'm sure I'll, I'll look back in a few years and look back at now and think oh my gosh like there were so many things that we needed to improve on and stuff so I guess it's always an evolution but yeah definitely we've noticed um, a massive change and for sure I think I think it's two things. I think structure is really important. So we always have like a weekly co-founders call. We all check in with each other. Uh, we also try to set sort of, I guess, certain areas for different for different people. So one of us will focus a bit more on like maybe the HR side of things, or one of us will focus a bit more on like the kind of diversity and inclusion policy. And that doesn't mean we all don't take ownership of it, but it just means obviously we need to be realistic about what everyone can manage. And that's the other thing is with four people is that you obviously want to make sure you're all aligned, but also, you you know, your brain is on so many different things. You can't be thinking about every aspect of the business. So splitting that up is has been really important as well. Um, but yeah, and then I think so that's kind of number one. But I think also like for the second part is kind of developing that sort of leadership mindset in everything you do. And I think that's probably the hardest 
thing that we found because, you know, and I think we'll, I'm sure we'll go on to talk about this, but, you know, we're quite a young co-founding team as well. And that, that has its challenges. You know, I think there's, there, there are pros to it, but it has its challenges as well. And so I think for us really thinking about our strengths and how we can ma- maximize them. And then obviously considering performance risks as well, but really looking at more through, um, more through strengths has actually been really effective. And I think through that, we'll build more confidence and yeah, be able to kind of behave in leaders as leaders, like in everything we do. And I think that that is really important as well. So I think it's kind of a balance of the two. So for anyone that's not aware, so how old are you? And then how old are the rest of the co-founders in your team? So I'm 26. Um, Chris is 25. Uh, Ando is 28. And Fabio's 27, I think. Yeah. I might get that wrong, but something around that. <laughs> it's like a pop quiz on uh, yeah, how well you know your team. <laughs> no, but I think that, like you said, it's you. I think people come to entrepreneurship at varying stages of their lives. But do you feel like the sort of, I guess, the leadership qualities and just like managing and just life experience that, you know, that's obviously going to benefit you in a way. Um, I guess what are the pros and cons do you feel of going into entrepreneurship relatively early in your career or very early in your career, really? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I see sometimes think about it and I think, yeah, it would have been better to go in it, do it later or, yeah, it's now a good time. I don't know. It is a tricky one. I think the pros... Actually, no, I'll start with the cons, actually. I think cons are obviously, as you say, you don't have as much experience. And it's not even just experience, I think, within your field. It's also experience in terms of what it's like to be in an office, what it's like to work with different people, what it's like, yeah, kind of just, yeah, I think just that kind of, I guess, those life skills that you get from work, you know, communication and all that. And I think that is probably, it is probably massively dependent on the workplaces you work in, because I know there are some workplaces that are just amazing for kind of, personal development and others where it's actually quite neglected so I think you know if you if you're able to be somewhere that they really develop you then I'm sure you know a lot of those skills would just be so valuable um but I guess yeah so I think that's definitely something that we're very aware of but I think one of the pros of it though is kind of by sort of not by being aware that we don't know everything I think it makes us a little bit more kind of hungry for knowledge and that's not to say you know there are many people that are older entrepreneurs or not even older just like normal age um and who are hungry for knowledge so it's not you know not to say that they're not at all but I think for us it's almost <laughs> I guess that sort of um kind of feeling like we're not yeah, that we're not knowledgeable enough just constantly makes us feel like we have to keep learning. And I think it's made us, yeah, we're just very acutely aware of it. And so I think learning for us is just like a number one priority. It's always, you know, how can we learn from other people? And I think really having that respect for people that have done, you know, that are kind of done, had so much more experience than us in our respective fields, you know, in the startup world, you know, in, in so many different things. And I think it is, yeah, it's just quite a nice mindset to have. Um, and I think that that's worked really well for us. So we've had so many amazing like advisors and people that we've spoken to. We've learned so much from them. So, yeah, I think that's that's one benefit. And another thing as well is we're working in quite a new field with tempeh fermentation. So it's not we've not really got like a blueprint to, f- to follow, to be honest. Like it's it's a completely new field. So we also do loads of research behind the scenes on tempeh. So that's what one of our co-founders, Ando, is mostly working on along with a team in Indonesia. And that is literally like no one else in the world is doing that research. You know, we're launching, you know, we can definitely take lessons from people that have launched a new product to the market. Um, and, and we do do that quite a lot. But it's not, 
I guess, yeah, maybe it depends on what kind of business you're running. But I think for us, like innovation is really important and sort of almost not worrying too much about repeating things that we've done previously and really trying to think how can we do things differently. So I think maybe by having less experience, it maybe makes us a bit more open to that and not quite as kind of like, oh, that worked before, so let's try it again. But obviously there are massive downsides that come with that as well. So I think it's all a balance. Uh, I think we would kind of, it just happened the way it happened. It wasn't sort of, I don't think any of us planned, you know, we went, didn't leave uni thinking, right, I want to create a business like that. We all actually had quite set plans not to create a business. And then it all just kind of came together and we thought, let's just at least give it a go. Um, so, yeah, who knows? Maybe a few more years of experience would have helped us out. But I think it's also been really positive in many ways for us. And it's made us grow, you know, and learn so unbelievably quickly, um, which is you know, I'm personally very, very grateful for as well. Totally. And I think there might be some cons, but you're definitely doing something right because the business is just, you know, going from strength to strength and, and the growth is so rapid and so exciting. So I think that's obviously a credit to you guys as a team. Um, speaking of things going really well, I definitely want to talk about your incredible crowdfunding campaign that you just kind of recently went through. Um, before we get into the actual crowdfunding campaign, what had been your funding journey up until that point? Yeah, so we started off um, when we first launched um, at the start of 2019, well, kind of first kind of set up the business start of 2019, sort of end of 2018, start of 2019 is when things sort of properly kicked off. We raised kind of a smaller round um, from friends and family just to kind of try and get things going and get things kicked off. Uh, we then raised another round um, start of 2020. So we were kind of hoping that the first round would kind of keep us going until we raise sort of like seed round but it just wasn't possible um and so we raised a sort of like bridge round um with some angel investors and then earlier this year in march is when we raised our seed round um so that was a mixture of we had some from like um sort of a vc which is from the good food fund uh, which is a collaboration between ascension and mission ventures and then also through seeders through our crowdfunding campaign and angel investors as well it's amazing like so there's so many different routes to funding and I feel like again you've sort of done uh, all of them almost <laughs> so that must have been quite an experience as well and um, so I mean if if for the people that aren't aware can you tell us how that crowdfunding campaign went what your target was what you made and and kind of how that process went yeah sure so our original target um was 1.35 million and just to clarify that is for the total round so that's one thing that i would say is quite yeah it's just a little confusing i think about crowdfunding campaigns because if you go on to cedars which is who we raised with or you can go on to crowdcube or whatever you'll see that they're like it will almost look as if they've raised that completely on that platform and that's very rarely the case um so yeah just to just to clarify Love that the radical transparency there that you're <laughs> but it's it's true because I think it's it's really important like you see these like crazy figures and it's great to say okay that wasn't all crowdfunding because I think so, so thanks for making that point I think it's really important yeah no I think for us we were quite confused to be honest because I had always I'd always seen those campaigns and I thought the exact same thing so I was kind of yeah, when I, we first started thinking about crowdfunding, I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to raise that much? And then Chris, who 
um, who's our CEO and does all the kind of investment stuff, he was like, no, no, and then don't raise it all on day. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Made me a little bit more calm that I wasn't meant to raise like 1.35 million all by myself through like pure marketing power. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a lot so, on your shoulders if that was. Yeah, the- that yeah, I don't yeah, that definitely would have been a whole other a whole other challenge. So that was our original goal was 1.35, and then we ended up raising um, just over 1.6. Um, and then close the round from there. So, yeah, so I think from actually from Cedars itself, I think we raised just under 400,000. Um, and that was sort of purely people that fa- like found us on Cedars. Um, and obviously you do a lot of like marketing with Cedars as well. So it's not just like, you know, people having to come across you. But um, yeah, so even that was, you know, we were really excited about. And then the rest of it kind of came from, from what I guess like privately organized investment. Yeah, and Cedars is that's equity crowdfunding, right? So, because um, I, I don't know how much people know about the difference between the kind of rewards based and equity based, but what what's the real reason that you went for equity based crowdfunding, and yeah, or did you yeah. have to figure it out? Yeah, so we did we did definitely like discuss it. Um, I think the main two differences between them, I mean, number one, as I guess this kind of relatively explained in the name is with equity crowdfunding you're giving equity you know in in your business away so people then have an owner you know some percentage of ownership of your business and then you can also have reward crowdfunding which is then when people get rewards um so i think the main difference is kind of the amount of money you're able to raise so understandably like with the with rewards crowdfunding you need to literally provide people with those rewards so if you've ever seen i don't know sometimes like like local restaurants sort of do like rewards crowdfunding and if you crowdfund them you get like 15% off every meal or you get a free three-course meal or something like that um, yeah, which of course Brew is Dog like did like that there's like a brew dog did a huge thing around that I think when they first started out where you kind of like you almost like join a club you know you kind of give some money and you become this like VIP member of this and then you get stuff like that so that is true, but I think they actually did it. I might be wrong, but they've definitely done quite a few equity crowdfunding. They've done equity now. Well. I think when they first okay. started out, it was different. But I think, and, and I think that's the point. You can do both, right? There might be certain stages of your business where it feels like rewards make sense, or like we've got this thing that we can do. But equity is is like you said, yeah, it's important to yeah, definitely. And the thing is as well, what's actually does make it a little bit confusing is equity now more and more also includes rewards so you'll see probably that if you're going on to cedars or crowdcube and you're investing in someone you'll see that probably at the bottom like if you invest 100 pounds you also get a discount or you get you know something and it's not going to be as valuable so the reward crowdfunding needs to feel like you're getting good value you know that you get more than what you initially put in but obviously the value of you putting money in is is enough for for the business whereas uh, in equity crowdfunding, if you have rewards, it's more like an extra incentive. It's not actually, that's not where you're going to get the value from that investment from. But yeah, so I think that's the main difference in terms of how much money you can raise. And then I guess the sort of work involved really in in giving out those rewards. So I think for rewards crowdfunding, it's a big, you know, it's a big consideration in terms of obviously you get that money, but then you need to be able to make sure that you can give people back those rewards, which are meant to in theory, be even more valuable than the money put in, which obviously is a, is a business challenge. Whereas with equity, you're giving them obviously equity of the business and your main job from then on really is to make sure the business is, is a success because that's how people get the value back. Right, that makes total sense. So you can just really focus on the business rather than it's like an X. And especially, you know, I mean, let's talk about marketing. You know, you're head of the marketing function. That's your your area that you're looking after. So 
there must be a lot of marketing involved to to market the campaign um and then like you said if you if you were doing rewards you'd have all this extra kind of stuff that you've got to do so it makes sense to streamline it but what was the marketing for the campaign like because it was incredibly successful thank you uh yeah it was again it's kind of it is sort of like a a subsection of marketing you know it's not like it's not really like stuff we've run before I mean like with anything obviously if you're preparing for a launch you're preparing for a project you have to put in obviously a lot of work quite far in advance but it really is sort of its own beast and there's so many things that you need to consider um, I think for us the one of the biggest things was the crowdfunding video I think that's something that mm. takes so much time you know really like creating that narrative making sure it's as clear and compelling as possible and you know especially because you know it's not something that we've done before so and it's not you know we didn't have that much knowledge on on the cedars audience we spoke to cedars about it and they were really useful like they were really helpful they gave us loads of kind of tips and tricks of what typically works well um but still it was you know trying to bring your own story and your own brand into that can be so challenging so yeah it was like to be honest i think the approach was really kind of try lots of different things and see what see what sticks you know and obviously we went with what cedars kind of recommended but also try to kind of put our own spin onto it so it was very time consuming i think that's something else as well i would say is that it's not something you can really do and be focused on other things it was really hard to, to do that and stay on top of sort of everyday marketing stuff um because it is just so all yeah it's so all consuming and i think also it's so sort of finite like once you launch you know you just need to get that investment in because if you don't reach your initial goal you don't get any of the investment which is kind of understandable wow. because yeah <laughs> which is quite understandable because people are putting the investment in assuming that you are going to get that investment so you know let's say you were going to invest in i don't know like a drinks brand and you put in some money and they said they wanted to raise one million but they only raised like two hundred thousand. that would mean you know all they were saying well what they're going to do with that investment would look very very different so yeah you know, they wouldn't exactly. be able to do hard Their things would change the growth the scale of growth would change so you're kind of going like i'm going into this because they're going to be the next big thing and like i'm going to get a really great return on my investment but then i feel like oh actually it didn't quite work so we're just like plodding along but like thanks for your money like yeah i that it sounds yeah. scary but it does make sense when you break it down like that exactly so you do understand why they do it but yeah exactly it just adds then sort of a lot of pressure which is why you actually another thing which I don't think people realize is most brands typically set their um, goal as lower than what they actually want because that's a safer option to do because the thing is you don't want to set it you don't want to set it sort of but basically the way that sort of Cedars um, said it to us is you have to set it at a point that's realistic so you have to set it at a point where like if you receive that money, you will be able to do everything that you plan to do for that round. But it might be kind of 100,000 or something lower than maybe what you ideally want, just to make sure it's just to kind of be safe and make sure you definitely get that investment. Uh, So that's kind of the way they the rule is around that. So that's also another thing to keep in mind. I think there's just a lot of these different like tactical things that you don't really realize when you're you're on the consumer side but when you're in the, on the business side yeah there's a lot of things you kind of need to consider and try to balance that and sort of making sure that you're actually going to get the money but also making sure that you you have enough that if you were to receive that amount you would be able to do everything that you you say you're going to do I think that yeah. that's quite a, a tough thing to balance and I guess I'm sort of thinking that whilst there's, it involves a lot of effort to market the campaign the campaign also sort of becomes a marketing 
you know, channel in itself, I suppose, because I guess you're on Cedars or whatever kind of kind of crowdfunding platform, people might find you through that. But I suppose it's also really your people are finding you and they're liking you so much that they're like, here's some money I want to invest in you. That that's quite a powerful connection to have with an audience and with a customer base. Yeah, it was really nice seeing that the response that we got. I think it yeah, it felt, you know, we really felt that people kind of understood what we were doing. And it was way it was quite nice to have that affirmation that, you know, what we're doing is making sense to, you know, the average person and they really kind of get it and they want to get on board with it. For us, that was really important. And obviously as well, you know, this is the support of friends and family, uh, which is you know lovely to see. And it's a really nice way actually to allow as many people as possible to have some ownership um, of better nature. And, you know, in, on Cedars, anyways, I'm not sure what it is with the other platforms, but you can put anything from £10. So I, I really like that element as well, that it's not, you know, it's not like you can only put sort of £1,000 plus or whatever. It, it makes it a lot more accessible. So, yeah, there was something really, really nice about that and creating a, a community um, of people and, yeah, more people learning about us as well. And I think especially through sort of the Cedars network, you're obviously accessing people that are really interested in startups and really interested in businesses and they really want to kind of see what the next big thing is. So then being able to learn more about us was really exciting as well. Mm, Yeah, I love that. It's great. How many supporters did you actually get? So how many people from that 400,000? I think it was just under 400. Okay, wow. Like a real range of like, did you have some people putting in like smaller amounts of money and some people kind of going in with quite a big amount yeah exactly it was a massive range so we had people putting in like 10 pounds and then I think we had a couple of people putting in like I think the biggest was like 25,000 um which was yeah a big a big amount wow so, it's amazing yeah. it's, 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 and it's really interesting and people I don't know you would kind of think that maybe people with that amount of money might just be like an angel investor and find you a different way so it just goes to show that actually crowdfunding that process you can get serious amounts of money in one go um, from one person that's amazing yeah it is amazing yeah I guess I mean I'm not I'm not like an expert on investment but I guess part of part of it could be that it's yeah it's just an easier way to find businesses to to kind of process that investment because I think if you want to get yourself if you want to do it separately then you would sorry this is maybe a bit more technical but the way it comes up on like a sort of what you call it like a cap table of who owns a business the cedars comes up as it like by itself which is quite useful as a business because it means then you don't need to like reach out to every single person that invested through cedars um you know as like a shareholder because obviously that would be very very time consuming so you basically layers with cedars and they make sure all the all the relevant information goes to the right people uh, so I think it is more of a consideration sometimes bringing someone new onto that because then you have to obviously have that communication, that ongoing relationship with them, which is, you know, can be amazing, but it is just extra, you know, extra time, extra work as well. So I think it works well for the business to have people come through that way, but also can work well for the other person because they don't need to kind of reach out to the business and get all that set up. It's just a way in which they can really easily be like, well, I really want to invest in this business so I can do that in a way that's kind of relatively quick and easy um and also they can kind of be confident about the communication they're going to get because it's all kind of managed through cedars as well yeah like you said it's all about communication it's all about finding the right team and finding you know you need to know that 
the relationship you start with whatever crowdfunding platform you go to like you're actually going to be dealing with those people a lot and like they are going to be a really um, an essential kind of extension of your team so I think making sure that you've got that relationship is really really good advice um I mean so you mentioned that you were trying kind of different things when it comes to marketing what were the channels that really worked for you what were the ones that you maybe decided to drop or maybe wish you hadn't kind of plowed as much energy or and budget into it's uh, a good question. I think, yeah, it, it is a tricky one because I think it's hard to know. You know, we try to kind of test as much as possible, but it is hard to know because in the sense that there was sort of two, there's like a kind of two-step route into investing. So the first thing you try to do, uh, which opens up about a, a month, if I remembered correctly, uh, before the crowdfunding campaign launches, is you try to get people to sign up to your sort of pre-registration page. Uh, and that basically means that those people say, okay, there's a good, you know, I'm interested in investing. They'll say how much they think they'll be able to invest. They give their email, their details, and then they sort of submit that. And that's really helpful for you for a number of reasons, because you obviously have a list of people that you know are really interested in investing. And those are people that you can reach out to. And obviously there's GDPR and everything to consider, but because they've opted in, you're allowed to reach out to them, but solely for the purpose of, of talking about the crowdfunding campaign. But then also they give an indication of how much they think they will invest and so that's really helpful to be able to tell like okay are we on target are we off target how much do we need to keep pushing and we had a really good response to our pre-registration page I think for everyone who had pre-registered had kind of done it right away before we kind of closed the round I think we would have been and we or we hadn't closed the round I think we would have got to sort of like over two million I think it was really really it was like a, a lot of people um, but I think that's natural in the sense that people will probably say they maybe want to invest more and then you know that feeling when you're actually parting with your money is quite different and then you're you know then you obviously start to get a bit anxious and nervous about it and then rethink it so it might not have necessarily resulted in that but I think that's really interesting is that that was kind of for us for ages was the main focus just get people onto that list and I think from there then you can obviously kind of manage the communication with them um you know and try and be kind of as effective as possible and getting them to actually to convert um so I think getting people onto that pre-registration page, there was a few different things. Um, I'd say definitely was effective pushing it on our channels. So things like social media was really important. And that kind of definitely got our sort of our biggest fans and people that had been following the business for a while, which was great. I think the only thing with that to consider is that not everyone is in the mindset to invest. It is, you know, it can be quite overwhelming. It can be just quite confusing. So we try to debunk that, you know, some things around it as much as possible. I actually did a live with Cedars and kind of asked all questions that could come into my mind and asked some people to share questions that they can, can think of that would maybe stop them from investing. And yeah, just try, in our comms, try to kind of debunk that as much as possible, but it's still something to be aware of. And I think like with all marketing, the best use of your money is usually going to some going somewhere where people are already in the mindset to invest. And so I think I'd say probably the investment that we did in marketing through Cedars was what was probably most effective because those people already understood, you know, what investing was about. They obviously regularly do it. They've got an interest in doing it. And so the sell to them was much easier. And I think we just needed to think, okay, how can we add something different to their portfolio? How can we yeah, how can we just get them really excited about what we're doing? And so that was something that we kind of considered quite carefully in terms of our messaging. And we also looked at targeting people as well that had recently invested in, in plant-based um, crowdfunding campaigns because Cedars had recently done some with All Plants and the Vegan Kind and this and Livia's. So they had loads of data on people that were interested in those campaigns as well. So that was really helpful for us. So yeah, I'd say 
it was kind of a balance between the two. I think definitely make sure you don't neglect your hardcore fans and really, you know, make sure that you cater to them and educate them on, on what uh, crowdfunding is all about. I think through that, we, we did get some investment, like definitely got some investors through that. But I think, yeah, as with all marketing, I do recommend, you know, go go to where people are really already in the mindset. They already understand it because then the buy-in is just a lot easier. So I'd say if you have to choose between the two, well, to be fair, I think through the organic, through social media, it can be more organic. So you don't need to worry so much about spend, but do spend that money, at least if you have it, to try and push it towards the people that kind of are already in that in that right kind of headspace as well. Yeah, I think that's really, really good advice. Did you did you get press coverage or anything like that during that time? We did, yeah. We didn't get any... I'm trying to think now where we actually got covered. We did get covered in like things like The Grocer, um, which for us mm. is... Uh, as a food business is really um is a really great publication and a few others um as well like in the veggie press as well uh, which was helpful so yeah we definitely did try and push that as well but again I think with that it's just so much harder to know that you're speaking to the right people we were just conscious that there does need to be something that draws people in and so we kind of felt there were two ways really either they really loved our business and really cared about our business uh, or they kind of really wanted to invest and they were interested in sort of plant-based investments. We felt that those were the two strongest routes. And so we wanted to kind of capitalize on them the most. Um, I'm sure there were others as well, but I think those were the kind of the, the two main ones that we'd identified and really targeted. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I think it's sort of like sometimes don't think like getting the casting your net like the widest, like sometimes it's like go really targeted because it you can be really exciting to get like a national press piece. But actually, it might be better to have something like the grocer or even not to get the press, but really, you know, uh, shine really bright in the Cedars network. So that makes a lot of sense. Definitely. And- yeah. Sorry, I was just saying, actually, I was listening to a podcast yesterday with the Bloom and Wilds, um, one of the co-founders, and he was saying oh, yeah, that really early on, they got like a, yeah, they got like a Daily Mail article, which, uh, and he was like expecting their sales to like go through the roof. And they went from having, this is like really in the early days, I think they went from having like, instead of just one sale that day, they went to having like three. <laughs> and that was like the result of that. And I think that's is a really good example. And I think, especially when people work outside of marketing, they can get really excited. You know, PR can be amazing, but also like it can have not, like it can really not have much of an impact. So I think, yeah. especially with something like this, where it like, you know, we weren't just trying to build awareness of what we were doing. We needed people to take action, focusing on things that are really focused and targeted and do encourage people to take direct action is is far more effective. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting perspective. I know that I've heard so many founders say, I've got loads of friends that work in PR, so I need to be careful what I say, but I've heard a lot of, a lot of founders say that actually, some an area that they often regret spending money is on a PR kind of campaign because it's not guaranteed. And I think there's so much you can do to PR yourself. Like I think on social media, like you can get on the right radars anyway. And you never know, something amazing might come up, but it's good to know that you can have lots of success without having that big national coverage. So yeah, um, veganism um, as a topic is in the press all the time, you know, for, you know, it's a, it's a, I don't want to say trendy, but like there is this over the last few years, it's really grown. Like I think the conversation, the really important conversation that people are having around animal welfare and, you know, the the world, like the climate, I think those have really kind of come into the mainstream over the last five to 10 years. Do you think that part of the campaign's success and even your success in general as a business is linked to that, you know, changing conversation? I mean, it must be, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think so. 
um, yeah, we're noticing that, you know, more and more people, yeah, are looking at, at plant-based foods, uh, which is, yeah, obviously great for us. I think actually quite interestingly for us, uh, our audience is more flexitarians. What we've found from like research that we've, we've done is that actually flexitarians, yeah, are looking for the, you know, they're looking for more plant-based foods, but they're not necessarily looking for ones that are trying to replicate meat because, if they want meat, they'll just have meat. And so they're actually looking for something that is really new and different and, and you know, and something that they can, that they think is, you know, feels really nutritious as well. And so that's really been really interesting for us. And I think that's actually one of the biggest areas of growth um, mm. in terms of, you know, the plant-based space. So it's it's really good for us. And yeah, I think obviously we're not, you know, distributed anywhere. Um, we're not in like a, we're not distributed kind of nationally yet so in terms of like a supermarket but hopefully when we kind of working on that at the moment and hopefully when we get to that stage um you know we're really hoping that we can tap into that you know massive flexitarian audience because i think in the uk i think the latest research was saying like about 30 million people in the uk identify maybe it's it's at least 25 but i'm not sure if it's 30 um many people in the uk identify as, as flexitarian so that's people that are kind of consciously reducing their their meat intake or animal product intake or fish intake as well um so that's yeah i think that's quite exciting for us and definitely yeah. i think that's playing a big part in in our success and the success of lots of plant-based brands which is great yeah i think you're right i think it's it has kind of gone mainstream in that in 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 that way as veganism has got more popular even people that would maybe for whatever reason are just like i could never be vegan but they i think before you were sort of like that's not me I'm out of that group I'm not it doesn't involve me these products don't, I'm not interested and actually now it's like oh hang on a second even if I do want to eat meat occasionally there is loads of benefits to adapting my diet um and like you said I mean I think that's what better nature does so well is is that you're making it easy for people to to make those changes I think it's really difficult for people to like ch everyone changing your dietary habits is difficult like everyone knows that and i think if it's like okay you could have this product but you have to marinate it for like 24 hours to make it nice or you have to do this that and the other it's just a barrier to entry for people whereas i guess what base nature doing is making it really easy to have really cool tasting food um that they can experiment yeah with. yeah definitely that's the hope but i think also it's in terms like it also is impacted by how brands talk and how they, you know, whether you feel, you know, there are brands out there that are very like hardcore vegan and you know, that's, that's what they want to do. And that's, that's totally fine. But I think for us, especially, and I think I've noticed it more and more with other plant-based brands, it is about encouraging people on that journey. And it's about not being too pushy and realizing that everyone, you know, is going at their same, you know, going at their own pace. And it's, it's important to kind of just be aware of that and not, yeah, and as you say, just make it easy to make those changes and make it exciting. I think that's the thing is we, we want to be able to show that actually having a really sort of a varied diet, which includes a lot more plant-based foods, it actually can be really cool and you can get new flavors and new textures. And I think for us, just celebrating that is, is really important and not sort of shaming people into it. And, you know, we have a similar approach when it comes to like nutrition as well. We know we, we're just not one of those brands that talks about things being like guilt-free or talking about calories, you know. We just really want people, you know, we want people to create a healthy and happy relationship with food. Um, and yeah, how, you know, however we can do that, I think we want to try and do that. And part of that is, as you say, it's convenience as well. It's like you can tell people that they can enjoy this as much as they want. But if they don't have the time to prepare it, then that makes it very difficult. It makes it inaccessible for a lot of people. So, yeah, for us, our priority is just to really kind of celebrate easy um, and nutritious and delicious food and 
try and make it as accessible as possible, which, yeah, price, I think, was always going to be a challenge for us, especially as a small brand, but hopefully in time, you know, and also a brand that considers sort of ethics as well and trying to make sure our supply chain is as ethical as possible while also trying to make our prices as affordable as possible can sometimes be competing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, hopefully, you know, that's something that we can achieve. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because, I mean, right at the start, you know, you said that you've, you've been a vegan for a few years now, like you've always been very mindful about what you're eating in terms of, you know, animals and stuff like that. So, I mean, do you, you must love being part of a business that is so aligned with your values and that you're kind of going, which I, you know, a lot of people don't get to do. I think that's why a lot of people do go into entrepreneurship if they want to kind of pursue that. But I'm, I'm sure it's amazing, but like, are there some challenges that come with being an ethical brand and, you know, I guess something that you feel so passionate about that must also be quite, um, not emotionally draining, but just like another big thing that you're just so in it on so many levels. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel really lucky to be able to do something that I'm so passionate about. And yeah, sometimes I, I think sometimes when I get a bit stressed and a bit overwhelmed, I do have to kind of remind myself of that and just kind of remember why I'm doing it. And I think that always helps just with anything. It's just kind of bringing it back to the why. And so I find that that's really helpful and really kind of helps to, yeah, helps maybe kind of feel better. But yeah, it is challenging. I think especially as you're, when you're a small business, it's, yeah, it is, it is really, really difficult. And we do really try to go above and beyond. And I think that has to be a massive testament to the team. I think we're really lucky to have a team that just are very, very aware, always sort of questioning things, always trying to do things better. Um, and I think, yeah, we just wouldn't, you know, you can't achieve something like that through like one person. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to hire the right people. And as much as you can care about something, and ideally, you know, founders should be setting an example and inspiring people. But if you're not, you know, if you're not hiring the right people, it's, I think it's like near impossible. So I think for us, that's been really important is just making sure that everyone who joins the business really cares. And like that can come from all different, you know, all different angles, which is actually something that's really lovely. You know, it's not as if everyone who joins the team comes at it from like an animal rights perspective or comes at it from an environmental perspective. You know, we've got people on the team that are just really passionate about health and about making sort of healthy foods more accessible and enjoyable to people. And we've got other people coming at it through more, you know, like just an obsessive love for tempeh, but also what tempeh represents as well. And, you know, the fact that it is a nutritious and sustainable food. But I think that's really nice. I think the thing that kind of brings everyone together is that is that passion and that drive to do things better and also that openness. I think we're all really kind of keen to hear, you know, each other's experiences and, you know, thoughts on things. And, you know, we actually have like a monthly call on, um, we call them belonging calls, which is actually something that we set up originally with Vanessa. We did some work with her, Vanessa Bello, uh, last year on our, uh, basically a diversity and inclusion policy, which we've called our belonging framework. And that's something that we do every month one team member brings forward like a topic of conversation. So we've done so many different things. The one actually uh, we did yesterday was on the climate crisis. We've done some on like gender identity, on racism, on actually on tempeh and like the kind of the rich kind of history and culture of tempeh and its importance to Indonesia and how we respect that. And that's just something, you know, I think if we didn't have a team that brought their sort of passion to work, it would be very difficult. So I think that really helps. But naturally, it is hard as a small business because you do have limited resources. And I think mm. especially until you get to the stage where you've proven that, you know, you are a sustainable business in the sense of sustainable, you know, environmentally, but also sustainable in terms of, you know, you've you've proven that you've got the right product market fit and you're doing well and you've got into where you want to get into. It can be really hard because 
you know that if you don't have a business then you don't have a mission so you can't you have to constantly battle between the two but then you never want to create a business and forget about your mission because that's not why you created the business in the first place so it's definitely challenging we've had to accept that there are some things that we you know maybe we can't be perfect about now um can't can't do perfectly now um but i think being honest about that's the most important thing for us we're really trying to be transparent as a business and so for example there was one example kind of a i think last year where a lot of brands were boycotting facebook um because of their approach to sort of how they censored like a lot of like racist language um which was totally like was the way they were yeah it was just awful situation and we totally supported brands doing it unfortunately for us at the time facebook ads were actually a big source of how we were making our income because we have you know we had our own online shop and that was like a big sort of source of income for us and it was really hard because we had to have a discussion internally and think like what do we do and unfortunately in the end we did have to we we had to say like we just can't we can't not use them for the month unfortunately we're just not at a stage where we can do that and it's not going to really impact our sales and so but we like wrote sort of some a series of Instagram stories about it and explained our position really clearly. So we totally supported the boycott. These are the reasons we couldn't do it now. But obviously in future, when we do, you know, when we are able to do things like that, you know, we, we will and we'll really put ourselves out there. And there have been other situations where we felt that, you know, we can do things like that. And actually the risk is not as big as the reward of doing the right thing. So I think it is. Yeah, it's just a kind of an ongoing an ongoing thing and as you say it, it definitely adds more sort of consideration and thought and discussion that sometimes you know you don't necessarily have the time for it in a small business but I think it's important and you know it's it's the kind of business you want to be in if we claim to be an ethical business we need to live and breathe that in everything we do and that doesn't mean we'll always get it right but it does mean that we'll discuss it and you know be really considered about it and be honest about it you know whatever the outcome so yeah it's a challenge but it's it's definitely worthwhile and I wouldn't have it any other way and that's yeah the only way I'd want to run a business. Like you said, if you have that relationship with your customer base where you're talking to them and you're sharing um, your thought processes and letting them behind the scenes of those decisions, then I think people can really see and connect with that. Definitely. I think like I kind of, I mean, not that you should ever fall into the trap of thinking about yourself as like an example of what you should think about when sort of curating a marketing message. But I do something think about that because I'm very like aware as a consumer and I'm very quite critical, I think, of, of brands. And yeah, I'm really careful about where I spend my money. But, you know, I honestly think the second I see a brand say, look, we're not perfect, but we're trying, but also being really transparent about that. Like just saying that obviously is not enough, but saying we're trying by doing X, Y, Z, straight away that to me actually is probably more compelling than a business that's pretending it's doing everything right because I just don't think any business is you know it's so hard there are so many things to consider so yeah I think it's about just yeah as you say building that relationship having that conversation with people and yeah or if you get in there before they do and you can explain clearly why that's the case and what you're practically doing to resolve it I really do think like people will understand like I think you know we need to give people more credit that they just want you know they just want businesses to care and I don't think that's too much to ask at all so yeah we need to kind of let them have the information they need to to recognize that exactly now we're we're going to finish off with your top tips and one of the top tips I want to ask you which I think goes on from this quite well is you know what aside from transparency which is obviously really important what would be your top tip for someone who's running an ethical business or or wants to make their business more ethical even if you know the brand isn't about being ethical or sustainable oh that's a really good question hmm 
God, yeah, I don't know. I get it's, it's. I think especially the second part of that question is really interesting. Of like someone that isn't running sort of like an ethical business. Like I think for me, I'm so in that mindset of like that's our whole purpose, that's our mission. But I think I really like that because I think it is important. You know, I think it shouldn't have to be that a brand's focus is being ethical for it to also want to do ethical things. I guess I don't know. I think probably I'm I'm very much like my background's in marketing strategy and I just love marketing strategy so I think I always try and like whittle things down as much as possible and I think I would say regardless of of what your purpose of your sort of what what you do as a business I think thinking you know why do I exist as a business like what am I trying to do and then thinking about everything that's included in that so like I don't know if you make I don't know jackets or something it's so people you want people to feel good in themselves or whatever and thinking okay well actually impacts people feeling good often it's things like you know weight stigma or it's things like racism there's so many things that impact how people feel within themselves so I think like really kind of connecting with why you've set up that business like genuinely why and just because you're not a business that's you know fits into what's considered ethical I don't think that almost matters like it's about finding your purpose and finding genuinely why yeah. yeah exactly and bringing your personal values into it and obviously there are things that are maybe more hygiene factors like yes you don't want to try and make people feel great but then also think about the fact that you know your jacket's made in Bangladesh where people are treated terribly it's like well that doesn't add up at all does it like so I think thinking about things like that as well is really important and not just considering the end product but the whole supply chain and how you can bring the values of your business to that and I think if you can communicate that really clearly as well with your customers it will just make them love your brand more and more. Because I think as we know with marketing, like it's all about clarity of message. It's always all about sort of reiterating the same message again and again. But if you can do so in a way that adds meaning to everything that you do as a business and adds that sort of ethical approach, you know, I think it will just make people connect with you even more. So yeah, that'd probably be my main my main tip. I love that. Now, what would be your top tip for someone you know, who is maybe early on in their career and is thinking, maybe I'm going to jump. I think there's a lot of people within the Fan and Flourish community that are maybe side hustling and are kind of like, am I going to make the jump? So what would be your advice to someone who maybe thinks, oh, maybe I don't have enough experience or I should do it when I'm a bit older, just about taking the leap? It's a good question. I mean, I think obviously finances is a big, a big part of that decision. I think we were very lucky to get investment early on. So I don't want to, yeah, I don't want it to recommend people do something before they're financially ready, because obviously I know that is a big, you know, that's a huge thing to consider. And I really do think we were very fortunate in that sense. So, but in terms of if it's just purely based on confidence, and whether you feel that you're ready, I think, yeah, it's really hard. But I think again, as I probably like, yeah, I sound like a bit of a broken record, but I think it's just about believing yourself and the value that you bring and why your values are important and just bringing that to your business and recognizing that, no one is going to be able to do what you can do as well as you. And yes, you might not have all the right skills, but, you know, if you, if you have enough self-awareness, you can recognize where those skill gaps are and you can recognize what you need to work on. But also what you should be thinking about is your strengths and what are the things that you can uniquely do better than anyone else? You know, you might have amazing, you know, your creativity might be amazing. You might have great critical thinking skills or whatever. And just really like recognize those um and think about how you can take them to the next level while also sort of managing potential performance risks and you know skill gaps as well of things you need to work on Mm -hmm. so I'd say just having a really practical approach to it and just not I don't know I think for me I'd say clarity is often the thing that 
that for me is the biggest barrier to confidence is when I'm kind of unsure about something. And then because if I'm not confident, then I'll just be like, oh, I just won't even think about it. I won't talk about it. And actually sometimes just putting it all down on one piece of paper and just being like, right, this is why I'm doing this. This is what I want to achieve in this business. This is why I'm great for this. But these are the things that need to improve for me to be the best I can be. I think just being honest about that. And maybe that is kind of then saying, okay, I'm going to hold off for six months. I'm going to improve all these, work on all these skills. And in six months, I'll be ready. Or it's about kind of jumping, you know, throwing yourself into it. Because I think, yeah, it's amazing what you can achieve when you really need to and the things you need to learn. And, you know, sorry, when when there are things you need to learn, it's amazing what you can learn. And I think also relying on other people and really seeking out people to learn from and trying to find mentors. And yeah, I think you have that approach. There really is very little that you can't do but yeah obviously you need to have it do it in a way that makes you know you're financially and sort of everything else you're comfortable and you're safe because I think if you're not in that position I think it's hard then to kind of build your skills because obviously you're kind of if you're stressed or you're you're anxious but I think once you're in that position yeah definitely just just believe in yourself but also be aware of what you can work on be realistic about it and just set a plan in place to how you can kind of overcome that amazing and your last top tip so, I mean, you gave us so many tips about crowdfunding, but what would be your one piece of advice, like top tip, definitely do this if you're considering crowdfunding? Good question. I think I think maybe just be realistic about why you want to crowdfund. I think that's something that, you know, as I kind of said, it's, it is really time intensive. And if you're... You know, if you think that's the only way you can raise investment, then you know that's that's very that's very fair. But there's also a chance that that isn't necessarily the only way. And I don't want people to kind of go into it thinking that it's kind of like, no, I don't think anyone goes into it thinking it's easy. But they think that it, they go into it thinking that it's sort of, I guess the crowdfund, you know, sorry, the funding route that has the fewest barriers. And I don't think that's always the case. You know, there are a lot of kind of angel investors out there that are looking for businesses to invest in. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think crowdfunding is necessarily always a way. So I think just being clear about why you want to do it. And then if you decide you do want to do it, then just, yeah, again, being really clear about what it is you're trying to achieve from it, you know, being really clear on who your audience is, who do you think really is going to invest in you, and then just trying to be as targeted as possible, I'd say are kind of my main pieces of advice. And just also making sure you get all the information before you start. I think there are so many myths around crowdfunding and so many things that aren't very clear. So consider your options look at the different you know the different companies that are offering it so as I said we worked with Cedars uh, we chatted with a, with a few but we just thought they were the best but that was only if you know for our situation it's not the same for everyone just chat to them ask all possible questions and just make sure you have just a complete knowledge of it before you commit to working um to commit sorry to to running that campaign and then from there and also lean on them get their advice and they'll be able to help you out so yeah I think just be realistic about what it involves but I think if it if it's exactly what you want to do and you know what you need to do I think it can be you know a great thing and obviously we were very lucky ours was a big success but I think yeah just just make sure you have all the knowledge before you start because otherwise it can be quite quite overwhelming uh, but yeah as I said can also be amazing. Ellen thank you so much so before you go where can we find you where how can we support you um where can we buy better nature products because they sound amazing let us know how people can find you you can find us on instagram at better nature underscore um or you can find us on twitter as well with the same handle um and yeah you can buy from us directly from our website betternaturefoods.co or you can buy us from mindful chef so on some of their dishes 
the vegan kind um gosh i'm going to struggle to remember now i think we're, yeah, we're soon to be launching with jiffy actually an instant delivery uh, grocery delivery app in london next week which is exciting um and yeah all our all our stockists are on our uh, website as well so if you just check out stockists at the bottom of our website you'll have more information there but yeah lots of independent shops as well brilliant ellen thank you so much thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bossing It. So that this podcast can be discovered by even more people, please do rate, review and subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. You can find us online at Found Flourish and you can tweet us, DM us, get in touch with us however you'd like to let us know if you've got any questions about the topics we cover in this series or if you'd like to nominate your favourite entrepreneur to be our next guest.